0: Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah chapter 38. A few minutes ago, when we were commenting on Psalm 78, and for those of you listening to this tape, you might want to stop it right now and read the first 11 verses of Psalm 78, which is a family psalm because it contains the things that are to be communicated from fathers to sons to their sons to their sons, four generations in all. I made reference to the fact that our goal should be that our children are greater than we in faith and holiness. That ought to be our goal. I've heard the generation that came out of the Depression say, I don't want my children to have to go through those things. Mm -hmm. Well, bless their hearts. I guess that's kind of noble. I guess that's just a little higher than the brute beasts. In thinking about their offspring but there's a goal so much higher than not having to endure a little bit of financial hardship which is all that our listen the generation that came through the depression was ten times the generation that presently lives because they went through some of that hardship they were better for it hardship makes better men than prosperity but we want to give our children greater faith and holiness Amen. Than we had that's what we want to give We want them to be greater in the sight of God in the sight of good men than we are and that ought to be a noble ambition for us I'm dealing with family planning We're looking in the Bible to see what the Bible has to say that we might be convicted To be better family planners And that means to look ahead and do what we ought to be doing so that our families are godly after we're gone and they perpetuate that godly tradition in their children long after we're gone that's the goal that we establish family trees from this church where godliness reigns and it continues itself it perpetuates itself because they have bought in to what the word of God has to say about this godly heritage and this godly tradition that's what we want that's what I mean by family planning a great family doesn't just happen A great family will be the result of much work and faithfulness on the part of both parents. And so we want to be committed to this goal. In Isaiah chapter 38, we have the healing of Hezekiah. The Lord came to Hezekiah and said, set your house in order, you're going to die. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed, and the Lord delivered him. And here's what he had to say, and this is why we want to live. This is what Hezekiah used as one of his reasons for wanting to live. And I've given you this before, but this shows how important the family is. Now, let me say something. The family is not important because of the family. Who cares about the warm, fuzzy feeling of family? That is no better than a dog, a bitch dog and her puppies. That's no better than a sow and its piglets. The warm, fuzzy feeling of a family. That is not what the Bible commends. That is no better than the brute creation. The issue is, will we teach the truth to these little minds and souls that God has given us so that they can live a life that pleases the God that created them? That is what we want. If he gives us a warm and fuzzy feeling in addition to that, So be it. Thank you, Lord, for that as well. Amen. But the main goal is beyond that. Right. Look at what Hezekiah said in Isaiah 38 and verse 19. Here's what he told the Lord. Well, let's get verse 18, because here's a couple of reasons why he wanted to live, and the Lord heard the prayer. For the grave cannot praise thee. Right. Death cannot celebrate thee. Amen. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. Amen. So the first reason Hezekiah gives that he wanted to live and what he was gonna use his newfound life for is to praise and to celebrate the truth of God. That's verse 18, but look at 19. The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. That is why Hezekiah wanted to stay alive so that he could praise and celebrate the Lord And that he could do it before his children, because that is a blessed opportunity to be able to communicate the good things of God that he has shown us to our children. That is precious. That makes childbearing worthwhile. That makes it better than the brute creation. Just to have a baby and to nurse it is no more tender than what animals do. To rock a baby is no more different than a mother cat licking its little kitten clean. No difference. Animals provide for their own. Animals, you know, mother birds bring home the, the, the worm and poke it into baby's mouth. That's, there's nothing exalted about a mother sticking food and a little spoon into a little baby's mouth that's any better than a mother bird, which is what we call bird brains, doing it to their little birdlets, their little birdies. That isn't the issue. And that is why women have husbands because women get all excited about the little diapies and about the little nuts and about the little nursing and about the little rubber tipped spoons. They get all wrapped up in that and the Bible tells us they do. Remember a woman heard Jesus preach and instead of thinking about the character of the Lord, instead of thinking about the the gracious words that were flowing out of his lips, instead of thinking of the doctrine of the sermon, all she could say is blessed is the womb that carried you and the breasts that you sucked. And Jesus, you could just see him hitting his head and saying, yea, rather. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Is there anyone intelligent in this audience? Amen. Yea, rather. Amen. Yea, rather. Amen. We want to give to our children the truth of the gospel. Now, animals don't do that. They don't even get close to it. That's what we've been entrusted with. That's what we want to give our children. That... The holy women of the Bible that are elevated are the women that did that. Listen, the women in the Bible that are elevated, you don't even know that they ever nursed their babies. They probably had wet nurses doing it for them because they had handmaidens taking care of most of the responsibilities of raising the little children because they were too busy with other things. That doesn't mean they didn't love their children, but the Bible doesn't say one thing about a mother doing that to her children. Love in the Bible. What is love in the Bible? Is it nursing, reading nursery rhymes and rocking the baby? Where in the Bible is that found? It is not in the word of God. It is not in the word of God. That is a woman's sentimental idea on what love is. Is there a place for that? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But it's way down the totem pole of priorities Mm -hmm. because the priority is to teach the child, the fear of the Lord. It's the law of thy mother. And that law of thy mother is not don't ride your bike in the street the law of thy mother is strange women are dangerous son Amen. the law of thy mother is things like don't you talk that way to your brothers or your sisters that's the law of thy mother that's what Solomon commended that's where we want to put the emphasis again Eunice and Lois were pulled out of the woodwork of the New Testament by the Apostle Paul because they had communicated their great faith to Timothy. He didn't care how Timothy dressed, how often he washed his clothes, or what he ate for breakfast. That didn't matter to Paul, and it didn't matter to Timothy, and Eunice and Lois didn't really care. What they cared about the most is that they got across to Timothy their great faith in God, and their great faith in the Scriptures, and that is what holy women do. Holy women communicate this to their children, Holy women are worried about the souls of their children, not their bodies. Souls, not their hair. Souls, not what they drive. Souls, not where they live. Souls. And that was Hezekiah. Look what he wanted to do. I want to praise you. I want to celebrate you. And I want to make known your truth to my children. That's why I want to live. Not to help the boy get a better job. Not to help him balance his checkbook. To make known thy truth to my children. That should be our goal. That is what I'm talking about when I talk about family planning. That we would set a long-term spiritual goal for the spiritual development and progress of our children and their children. We cannot get wrapped up in the fuzzy feelings that women in particular get wrapped up with. Because that's not real mothering. Real mothering, in God's view, is this. That's why there isn't one sentence in the Bible about the other part. All the sentences in the Bible about great parents are communicating them, communicating the law of God to their children. When, when Bathsheba is mentioned, when the Bible says, I was tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother, which is a precious verse, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 3, and if you wonder if I believe it's a precious verse, go read the Proverb commentary on that verse. But go look at its context. The context of Proverbs 4.3 is being instructed by his parents to keep the law of the Lord. Right. That's Proverbs 4.3. Mm-hmm. I was tender and only beloved in on the sight of my mother, but I want to tell you something, son. My mother taught me commandments. She taught me commandments. When we get to Proverbs chapter 30, look at what the woman is teaching her son. And all of it is moral. Yeah. If it's not moral, what are you wasting your time on it for? Yeah, you got to have a few rules at home, but that isn't important. Proverbs chapter 31, Proverbs 31. The mother to King Lemuel. Right. Wine, women, justice, marriage. Wine, women, justice, and marriage. That's what a great woman teaches her children. There's nothing in there about all the little things of how you ought to arrange a kitchen and stuff like that because those things aren't important. And a woman who plays with those things loses the respect of her children because she's not a holy woman as the Bible describes a holy woman. And you women, I want to get your attention. I want every woman in here to have a great family that extends for generations. All those little things that are important to you, forget them, especially when your children leave. Because when, when children leave their parents, they establish a new home, and they can arrange their kitchen any way they well please. And for you to go push on them, you're going to lose your family because that's what I wrote about this past week in Proverbs 11:29. He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. I promise you, you will lose your children if you interfere in those stupid areas of their life. It doesn't matter if they have orange juice for breakfast or not. It doesn't matter how they arrange their cabinets. It doesn't matter what brand of a car they drive, what model. It doesn't even really matter if they change their oil every 3,000 miles because they're all going to survive. Do you know how a son learns to change his oil every 3,000 miles? He burns an engine up. Let him burn an engine up. Do you know how we learned? Paul and I learned to climb trees? By our mother letting us fall. How do you teach a child about stairs? Put them three steps up on carpeted stairs and let them come down. They'll learn. How do they learn about hot? They've got to touch it. Do you think they understand the word H-O-T? Hot. Let them feel it. Let them experience it. They'll learn that way. It troubles me to see children irritated in a house troubled because the mother wants to be overbearing in all of her little opinions on matters that don't matter. When, what are matters of liberty? You know, we've been over this before, we usually do it with other subjects, but what's a matter of liberty? It's anything the Bible hasn't addressed. If the Bible commands something, we do it. If the Bible condemns something, we don't do it. If the Bible doesn't say, God doesn't care. It's that simple. We've always held that position, and if you ever modify that position, you're in deep, deep waters without a compass or a map. Because if you start to say, well, this is important, but it's not important in the Word of God, you are starting to write your new new Bible, and on what basis are you going to stop writing it? Because you started without a mandate from heaven, what's going to stop you? You will end up with all these different little rules, and God doesn't care about any of them. What is important is written in the Bible. It's either commanded or it's condemned, and that's what we want to stick to. And we are commanded to teach our children the things that are taught in this book. We are to teach our children the truth. We are to praise and celebrate the Lord before them, his marvelous works. We are to teach them to put their hope in God. We are to teach them to pray. We are to teach them to examine themselves. We are to teach them to live holy lives. That's what matters. That's why Hezekiah wanted to live. There's only one right way to build a family, and it's God's way, and you won't improve on that. And if you try to do it your way, you'll lose. You'll be troubling your house. I taught a number of things over the last two weeks. I'm not even going to review them. I just want to quickly get to some new things for us to consider on this subject, and we're finishing it right now. I, want to, I do want to say a few more things on parents being very active and controlling in the courtship of their children and their marriage now I don't believe in courting any more than I believe in dating and I don't believe in dating any more than I believe in arranged marriages they all work none of them are specifically commanded in the Bible we just have some examples of them but what we are commanded in the Bible is to marry only in the Lord Amen. and we define that only in the Lord rather tightly just because a Catholic comes along and says I believe in the Lord that doesn't mean anything to us because they the Bible tells us that Catholics are the greatest enemy of the true churches of christ that is not good enough it's our definition of being in the lord i've taught it before in two sermons entitled marriage only in the lord Amen. let's remind ourselves that this is scriptural first corinthians chapter seven the greatest error i i do believe it's maybe not the greatest because the greatest error is to live a hypocritical life in front of your children which will then cause them to discount any real christianity for the rest of their lives unless God works a miracle and he hasn't promised to work miracles if you're a lackadaisical lethargic or hypocritical christian that's the kind of children you're going to have and that is horrible first corinthians chapter 7 it says in verse 39 the wife is bound with the law as long as her husband liveth but if her husband be dead she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the lord first Amen. corinthians 7:39 also said in 11:11 why did solomon go down solomon the man to whom god gave so much wisdom and he wrote to us the wonderful book of proverbs what destroyed solomon his many wives turned away his heart from the lord until he was building temples to kemosh and other gods of the Ammonites and Moabites that you can read about in 1st Kings chapter 11 horrible because of bad marriages the worst thing you can do is to let your children marry someone out of the Lord and in the Lord means fully dedicated to serving the Lord Jesus Christ according to the Bible I get sick of hearing uh, I get sick of hearing he's such a nice guy who cares if a man's a nice guy what does that have to do with anything I'd rather have him being a mean guy as long as he feared the Lord is God with, with, with his whole heart and loved the Lord his God and loved the word of God because someone doesn't have a good idea of him. Who cares if he's a nice guy but she's a sweet girl? Who cares if she's a sweet girl? And all of you parents had better be committed to this. Amen. Who cares if they go to church? So what? So did Joseph Smith go to church. That doesn't matter. Do they fear God? Because most church-going people today do not fear God. Press them with the Bible and you'll find out they don't fear God. We want to find God-fearing spouses for our children and it should be ingrained into their heads every day of their lives and that they are incompetent of making the measurement. That their parents can make the measurement if another person truly fears God or not. Because once emotion sets into a 16-year-old child, are you going to tell me that they can judge whether the person that they already have an affection for fears God? No. That should be taught to your children from the earliest stages so that they understand they're incompetent in making such judgments. And their parents should help them. Now, I went over the fact that you want to marry as high as you can on the spiritual character totem pole. That's not a good comparison, is not it? Is it? I shouldn't be using totem poles to describe the ranking of God's priorities. No emails on totem poles. I know that they were false idols. Brethren, all of you know families where the parents sort of feared God, at least sort of feared God, but they let their children marry others that did not fear the Lord like they did, and it tore up those families and they end up being just a bland, earthly, worldly, carnal family at best, at best. And it's worse than that, at worst. Right. Who cares if they're a nice guy or a sweet girl? It doesn't have a thing to do with marriage. That's not what makes marriage work. That's not what makes a good spouse. And it certainly isn't wise family planning. Wise family planning is looking for someone that fears the Lord with all of their heart. There's no room for compromise on this. And which that brings us to another point. When you're managing your children for the future prosperity of your family and the glory of God, there is something far worse than fornication. Something far worse than fornication. Emotional involvement. Emotional involvement is far worse than fornication. Fornication can be repented of a whole lot easier than emotional involvement. Emotional involvement is so difficult for a a child to overcome, and that is what needs to be guarded. Your children should be taught, and you should keep them from having an emotional attraction and emotional involvement with another child that you have not approved yet. Because once that happens, it is so difficult to reason with them and to recover them. So, That means father and mother have got to know their children well enough and have a relationship open enough with them where they can detect and explore the emotional involvement of those children with others. That's what it requires. So that you cannot let that emotion happen because the fornication to any average raised girl cannot happen without emotional involvement first. God already built up enough inhibitions in her that it won't happen unless you let her go emotionally. So it's a parent's job to be satisfying that child emotionally at home, exploring that child, asking, talking, and being gentle enough and open enough that they can talk without being slashed to death so that you can find out where their heart is because you want to know where your child's heart is. Where their heart is Is more important than where their genitals are that is just a simplistic view of being a parent you want their heart what does the Bible say Solomon comes along and says son give me thine heart son give me thine heart that is a great father he wants the heart of his children he wants to know when they start to lean toward another person And as long as that person meets your approval, fine. You can encourage that. You can thank God that it came along so that they have someone to be interested in. But that is managing. That is family planning. And you've got to be prepared to do it. And it takes work. It means you have to be gentle enough with your children that they'll tell you something once in a while. If you're always jumping down their throat about whether their tie is tied right or they wore the wrong color that day, they're not going to tell you anything. You're going to live, they're going to live outside your life and you're going to live outside their life and the two will never intersect, not even in a small little bit. I've seen it so many times. I don't want, why am I preaching this? I'll tell you right now. I'm preaching it for what I'm saying this very second. If you are overbearing to your children, you will lose your family. I've seen it. I've smelled it. It's here in this church. I don't want it for your sakes. I'm about as overbearing as someone can be. But I also know that there's a time to kick back and let the children do some of the things that they want to do that aren't really going to offend God, but are their personal liberties, and let them have them in order for me to have what really counts. And that's their soul. Am I a perfect father? A far cry from it. But I tell you one thing, I want to be, and I'm aiming toward it, because I want the family that I'm describing to you. And I'm thankful for God's mercy, and I hope that all of you are thankful for God's mercy with me. Amen. (sighs) If I made all my children little goose-stepping clones of their dad, I wouldn't ever be able to get anything out of them. And so I let them do some of the things. And listen, does it bother me? do, Do any of you know me? Yes. When my children when my children do something that I wouldn't do or that I don't like, it tears me up. But see, I've got to make a management choice. And this is why women aren't managers. This is why fathers have to do this. I have to make a choice. I'm going to give on this, 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 and that. Oh, I lay in bed at night. What an idiot. But see, it's in practical matters. It's in little tiny things. Do you know what? God doesn't care. Uh, listen, th- th- was, any- was anybody offended with that? No. Nope. Please. It's just, listen, we all think that. That's why we all have personal preferences. We choose one thing because we think every other choice in those areas is idiotic. Yep. <laughs> that's why we have personal preferences. Amen. But those things have to be let go so that there can be pleasant, yeah. comfort, peace, and tranquility that they will be willing to talk and listen to me when I do bring some parental direction to bear. If I'm bringing parental direction to bear all the time about all these little nitpicking things, pretty soon I'm crying wolf and they just have put up a wall and they don't hear anything, Uh uh uh-huh, 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 and they go their way and do whatever they want. I don't want that to happen to anybody in here. I don't want it to happen here, and I don't want it to happen there with any of you. We want to manage our children very well, and we want to plan for their future. But we've got to be very careful about where, where we impose our authority. And if we impose our authority at all times on little preferences that we have, you're going to lose your children. You're troubling your house. That is a contentious person. That is the constant dripping of the rain in the book of Proverbs. That is so irritating. You are odious. Let those things go. If you've lived a good example before them at home and you taught them when they were little, they'll bounce back. They'll bounce back on a lot of those things. Maybe it'll take a, burn, a burned-up engine or two in their lives, but they'll bounce back. But if you try to force it, you won't. You cannot force a child to tell you they're hurt. Nope. If you think you can do that, you're wrong. You've got to win that child to tell you they're hurt. 1 Corinthians 15:33. Obviously, marriage is the best friend a person's going to have, and we're to be guarding that, and that's what I just spent a little bit of time with. I hope that some of you read Genesis 24 last night and the great pains that Abraham went to to get a godly wife for his son Isaac. He made that servant of his swear a pretty solemn oath, wouldn't you say, men? Was that a pretty solemn oath? Did he get the servant's attention? And then he sent that servant on a long mission to get a wife that feared God for his son Isaac. And that's how we all have to be. And you start, you start now. You know, Austin's not too young for his parents to be thinking about who could Austin possibly marry and narrowing the field down. I mean, you've got a few more years. You've got a few more years, but you want to start thinking about it early. You don't want to wait until it's too late. You know what, what happens? M- Mama describes, uh, M- Mama discovers a note in the child's bedroom. And then because of the note, she looks a little deeper and finds 40 more. And all of a sudden you realize Austin's little heart is long gone with some nice kid, nice girl down the street. She's such a sweet thing. She brings cookies by when when he was small. And now he's madly in love with some nice little girl down the street. And when daddy says no to the little girl down the street, it's too late. It hurts. It's hard. It's very hard. I do have a little bit of experience in what I'm telling you. It's very hard. So you start early. But what about the other friends? What about the friends of the same sex? The Bible says evil communications corrupt good manners. Right. First Corinthians 15, 33. So parents need to be very careful about the environment they let their children in. What school you send them to, what friends they have, because those little friends will corrupt good manners. Good manners never improve the manners of bad children. It's always the other way around. Evil communications corrupt good manners. It is your job to make sure you know all the friends of your children and to cut off those friends that are an ungodly influence that don't match up with the Bible. They will take your, friends, they will take your children down. Mm-hmm. They will influence them. They will undo 15 years of training in one week. Won't they, dear parents? Yep. But God is merciful, isn't he? The three of us know, don't we? That this is true. One of the three by five cards that I pulled out of the deck two days ago was Proverbs one ten, And I saw the reference and I said, what's this verse for? Would you all turn to it with me, please? Do you know what deck of cards I'm talking about? Proverbs 1.10. Because I had given a number of suggestions of what I thought were the best verses to memorize, to start with, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, Hebrews 11:6, 6, and verses like that. I, had, I pulled up a three-by-five card and had to grill a young man on Proverbs 1, 10. Look at, look at what it says. Proverbs 1, 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. How would you like to be sitting at a table and get that little surprise? Amen. That was an emotional moment because... In his reading, he had stumbled on that verse and he knew that that verse was his downfall. And so I'm telling you parents now to cut off all those influences that are ungodly in their lives. It is your job to do it. Mm -hmm. The book of Proverbs is filled with the advice, go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the words of knowledge. It's there over and over. Avoid it, pass not by it, go away from it. The Bible says, flee youthful us. Get away from those kind of friends. We need to keep track of those, the friends that our children have. They can be at work. They can be at school. They can be in the neighborhood. They can be in athletic programs. They can be relatives. They can even be in the church. Mm-hmm. It's our job to make sure that our children are around the very best influence possible. If you can make sure your children are around children that are better than they are, guess what you're going to do to your child? If there's any influence at all, it's going to pull them up. Now, the other parents might not appreciate your conspiring. But we should all work together in this church to help our children get molded upward toward the Lord and pleasing him. May the Lord help us to that end. Your schooling choices. It's a matter of liberty in this church. We don't have a Christian school. We don't have a private school. We don't endorse anything, absolutely. I don't care if you homeschool, private school, public school, you can make those choices and you're allowed to in this church and no one looks down on you for those choices, but each one of those choices has its own set of problems that you're going to encounter and require extra effort on your part to undo the folly that they're being taught in that program. Every program has some folly. Some programs obviously have a whole lot more. If you're children in public school, you are put to more effort as a parent. You must be a better parent to have great children if you're gonna send them to public school because that's eight to 10 hours of evil influence a day. It's just that, it's mathematical. It's just a real problem. I'm not gonna get up here and say you can't do it and exclude you if you do it. But I'll tell you one thing, you have asked for a whole lot extra work to undo the evil influence of that school system. Hey from the teacher's standpoint and from the peer pressure, it's enormous. And so to, for wise family planning, if you're going to nurse from the public education system, you've got to be a better parent. Much of the influence a child obtains is obtained between the ages of five and 17 in that six and a half hours a day, and you better know what's, what's happening during those hours. You know, that system likes to ask the question, do you know where your children are tonight? You know, I'd like to ask of that system, do you know where your children are during the day? Because more damage is being done during the day than playing at night because they're having a a role model in front of them, brainwashing them with the philosophy of the world. Parents, parents, you know, I, I almost wanted to do this at a parent's retreat, but parents, we cannot be overbearing. And those with any choleric or overbearing tendencies at all have got to back off in order to win and keep your children. I know I've already said this, but this is one of the main reasons I wanted to cover this particular subject. And so I hope you'll listen to me again. An overbearing parent can drive away children in spirit by always being critical. They won't talk. They'll just throw up a wall. They don't care what you think because they've never been able to meet with your approval, so they'll shut you off. We can't do that. Due to the nature of the relationship, children don't offer a whole lot on their own. We've got to win it out of them. They're intimidated by nature. They arrive in this world, this little helpless bundle. And because of that, we're big, scary, and we can inflict pain if need be. And because of that, there's an intimidation relationship there to a certain degree. That we try to undo with love but it's still there because of sheer size and if you're not careful they will not tell you the things you want those things need to be won out of children now if you're wondering i wonder if i'm overbearing or not so why don't you on the way home ask your children am i overbearing now if you even have a temptation to ask that question i'll answer it for you right now the only mother that would ever ask that question is an overbearing mother And that woman will never get the truth back. If on the way home, you have to ask, am I overbearing? You are overbearing because that's an overbearing question. Why would you ask a child a question like that where you're forcing them to lie? That question forces a child to lie. If you wonder, come and ask me. They've probably told me. Why do you think I'm preaching this? Mm -hmm. You know, when the woman goes home and asks her husband, am I an odious woman in the car? (laughs) Woman, if you have a temptation to ask the question, you are, because that's such an odious question. To ask your husband, am I odious, is not a gracious question because you're forcing your husband to lie. What's he going to say? Come on. If you're so forward that you'd ask the question, he wouldn't dare tell you the true answer because he knows that for the next week, he's gonna be in lockdown. I'm saying all these things because I want, we want to win the affection of our children. You can't force it and you can't solicit it simply by questions. Sibling rivalry, it's gotta be ended in the home. If we want godly family planning for families that will perpetuate themselves, there can't be sibling rivalry. We've got to cut down as much as possible the jesting, the hurting, the sarcasm, the sarcasm, the ridicule that goes on between a lot of children. It's natural in that we're all born with depraved hearts, but it's got to be cut out. Children must be taught to love one another. Why in the world does the Bible describe two have two expressions, brotherly kindness and brotherly love? Sometimes I wonder if the apostle understood about family matters. Right, Mark? It's brotherly love and brotherly kindness. What do you think, Matthew? I'm not picking on any two of them any more than anyone else. Paul and I were brothers, you know. (laughs) It's, It's horrible, and it's a great way where parents can build family planning because we want to unite those children to where they love each other and want to help each other at all times, not ridiculing and cutting and and being mean to one another. It's in their hearts. We want to get it out of their hearts because it will not go away with age. It will will taint the relationship unless we train them right when they're young. May the Lord bless. What an opportunity to be a parent. And you you get the Proverbs on tailbearing, whispering, slandering, false accusing, backbiting. You get a proverb on that. You have the greatest... Playground in the world to practice getting rid of those things because your children want to do those things One wants to come and tattle in another They want to whisper they want to backbite. They want to ridicule They want to jest, joke and hurt each other and you have a wonderful opportunity to cut that off and to be building family unity for the future Because I hope that as they get old enough to get married They don't want to move very far away from their siblings because they want to be close because they've always been close all their lives and they want to help one another. May the Lord bless us to that end. I hope that all of you are building family devotions as a godly tradition in your homes so that your children will want to perpetuate it where it's a good experience. It's precious. They, un- they see that the parents enjoy it. They enjoy it because it's made enjoyable by a wise father and they wanna perpetuate it. We wanna make that a self-perpetuating tradition where the sons and daughters that get married wanna do the same thing in their homes so that after we're long gone, there's still Saturday preparation. I don't even know how to do anything on a Sunday. I'm 46 years old. For me to touch the handle of a lawnmower on a Sunday or my computer or anything for any personal interest violates my whole being do you know why it does because my father trained me that way you say "No, that's not taught in the bible no it's not necessarily taught in the bible but see it wasn't that i had to have wheat germ on my cereal every morning for breakfast he did that but that didn't affect me nearly the same yeah he would sprinkle wheat germ all over his cereal in the morning you know i thought it sort of tasted like adding gravel I ate a whole lot of it, too, and he knows that, and he had to pay for it when I was younger. But there was another issue, and that was Sunday activities. You know, outside our great big family picture window was the the field that all the neighborhood children played on, and six days a week, I'd be out there. And on Sunday, they'd be out there, but we weren't allowed to go out and play with them. And I love that family tradition that was taught. Now, you don't have to have that, but see, that had moral repercussions because there was a moral basis for it not a health basis, not an appearance basis, not a popularity basis, it was a moral basis. This is the Lord's day, we wanna keep it different so that you remember what you were taught in the morning and what you were taught in the evening and we wanna give it to the Lord and we wanna follow the principle of the Old Testament of having a day of rest, so we did it. I hope that we can have, that we and you can have self-perpetuating traditions in your family that are moral in nature and toward the glory of God in a, spirit, in a spiritual lifestyle. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 6. Proverbs 17, 6. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. Grandchildren are a decorative crown on the head of old people. I'm an old person, I get to talk about it. Grandchildren are a crown. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an emblem of blessing, it's an emblem of honor to have a crown on your head. Kings wear crowns, queens wear crowns. But a grandparent is, a, is honored by having the crown of children's children. They have grandchildren. And those grandchildren are only a honorable crown if they're behaving well but the point that I want to get from this verse is that because we're old older or a grandparent doesn't mean we give up or that our responsibilities don't end I hope that from Psalm 78 you saw plainly that a grandfather still has the responsibility to teach that next generation to perpetuate the truth we want those children to be honorable children But in order for us to have them a crown on our head, we want to be emphasizing what's important to them. And what's important to grandchildren is the same things that were important to children, what the word of God teaches. I want to have an influence in my grandchildren's lives not to drive a certain make of automobile, not to have a certain kind of profession, not to keep their checkbook a certain way and use every other line because it's neater to use every other line. I really think you ought to use every other line. To use every line, numbers and words can run together. That's just ridiculous. I'm trying to make a point. Who cares? I don't care if you skip two and outdo me with neatness. It doesn't matter. Character in my children, character. Character is not what you eat, what you wear, when you go to bed. Character is do they fear God love his word, and want to love their neighbor as themselves. Really, we can boil it down to two things. Can I teach my grandchildren to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love their sisters and brothers and friends as themselves? Because that's what the Bible teaches me are the two great commandments. That's what I want to communicate. I want to care about their souls. I want to care about their friends. I want to care about who they marry. Not all these other matters that, that if, you know, if they have their shoes untied, that's not nearly as important to me as they come running to me as if they love the Lord. <coughs> Let them fall on an untied shoelace. They'll learn to tie their shoelaces just like the grandson will learn to change the oil in his car when he burns up an engine. Let them do some of those things. But we want to teach them character, discipline, and the love of God and love of neighbor. And grandparents can do that with their grandchildren and it shouldn't end just because your children have left home and now you're what the, what the world calls an empty nester. But the empty nester, had better be careful because it is an empty nest and now your little tiny nest is rather empty and someone else has another nest. And all grandparents must remember that the other nest is another nest. Right. It's not the same nest it's not part of the same nest. It is another nest. So in all the matters of liberty, if God didn't command it and if God didn't condemn it, let them go. Let them go. Because what we want to do is when we do call up and say, I want to talk to you about something. You know, I see this and it's not, you're not living according to the Bible. You're not living according to the word of God. We want them to listen to us. And because they have their own nest and they know it, God made them independent beginning in their teenage years to start thinking independently so that when they got married, they were on their own. The Bible says, therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. There's a new family unit developed, and it's a new family unit, and that son's in charge. And parents had better not get involved in that new family unit unless it's a matter of moral importance. Thank you, Mom and Dad. But when Dad Dad calls me and says, I need to come and talk to you, and I've told you about this. When Dad calls and says, I need to come and talk to you about something, there's no hatred in my heart because he's about to come and tell me that I didn't get the right kind of automobile. I'm not using wheat germ on my cereal for breakfast or anything like that. He's coming because there's something important enough for him to want to talk to me about, and I still tremble at 46. What's Dad got for me this time? What have I done wrong now? And I mean that in a good way. What have I done? Because he's not going to come to me unless it's something important. That's what I want him to come for, and that's the relationship the way it ought to be. Mm -hmm. Because the rest of the time, it's just pure friendliness, and I do things differently, than he does. He thinks the way that Paul and I and our children took care of toys was just ridiculous. In my generation, we didn't have toys. Every time you broke one, you got another one. We took care of toys because that was the only toy we were going to get. Well, we live in an easier generation where if you break a bike, you just go buy another bike to a certain extent. And so we didn't take care of things as well as dad took care of things. And dad didn't take care of things as well as my brother Jeff took care of things. And these are matters of liberty. These are matters of liberty, and we all are on a sliding scale from, ex- from one extreme or the other. And it doesn't, God doesn't care. You know, as long as you're living prudently and you're not being wasteful, intentionally wasteful, God doesn't care where you are on that scale, but he does care how much we love him. He is a jealous God, and his jealousy is not toward the little matters of life. His jealousy is, do we love him? And that's what parent grandparents should be stressing with their children. Every grandparent in here, you've got more time. You've got more experience. You have something to give from the word of God, and it's not eating differently. It's not wearing differently, driving differently, keeping your lawn differently. Who cares what kind of fertilizer you use on your grass? Let me try my kind of fertilizer. Let me burn up my yard. Those things don't matter. I am preaching this series for the issue that I'm wrestling with right now. Grandparents can have a good role, but their role should be, how is your soul, son, daughter? How is your soul? It kills me, and it kills God Almighty, and it kills, kills your children when you come and interfere in their life in some little matter that God doesn't care about, and you never ask, how is your soul? Are you praying every day? Are you reading every day? That's what matters. I am so sick of hearing parents talk to me, not just, not just in this church, outside of this church, Wanting to, be, wanting to brag to me about their kids. I don't care if they graduated. I don't care how much money they make. I don't care how big the house is they live in. I have one question for those people. What about their soul? Why are you telling me all this drivel? What about their soul? This is godly family planning. What about their soul? Every grandparent in here, when was the last time you went asking, what about your soul? When was the last time you prayed with your children, even though they're married? When my dad comes to see me, we pray together. I want to praise my father in front of this whole church. When he comes and pulls his little 3 by 5 card out and leaves his son a whimpering mess in a chair, we end up by praying. Now that's a great father. Amen. Man. He doesn't come and tell me, I think you let your kids stay up too late. I don't think they eat a very balanced diet. How are you doing, son, with pizza five times a week? He never says anything like that because he really loves me. He's not trying to force, he likes pizza too. He's, he, he's working up the scale. He's up to, he might have it a, a time or two a week now. That's something he didn't grow up with. He doesn't ask me those kind of things. He asks me the important things, and I appreciate it, and I want to use him as an example in front of all of you. All of you know him. Mm -hmm. I hope that we can all be fathers like he has been to me, and I hope that we can be better with all due respect, and I hope that my sons can be better than I've been, but my point is what do you ask your children and your grandchildren about, and where do you trouble your house? Let's deal with the things that matter, and that's their soul before the living God. You know the Bible, and I wrote a proverb, I'm moving to a new point. This week, Proverbs 13, I gave it to you, a good man leaveth an inheritance for his children's children. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says a good man leaveth an inheritance for his grandchildren. There again is that emphasis on perpetuating a family beyond just your first generation of children, but even into your grandchildren, a consciousness of grandchildren and wanting to prepare for them and leaving something for them to make it better for them. In the Bible, what a, what a difference from our society. I think I wrote in the proverb, and I hope everybody read it, you know, you go around town and there's bumper stickers that say, that basically are laughing, we're spending our children's inheritance. Yep. We're spending our children's inheritance. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Right. That is totally contrary to the Bible. There's a philosophy that children ought to be prepared to take care of their parents in old age. That isn't a Bible philosophy, except for an emergency, and so I use the word except, because that's an exception. Parents ought to be providing for the children, because that's what the Bible teaches. Second Chronicles 12, 14, you probably didn't look up the verse, but it says the children ought not to lay up for the parents, right. but the parents for the children. See, God is always forward-thinking, forward-thinking. And so parents ought to be preparing an inheritance for their children and their grandchildren so that each successive generation is taken care of. That's true godly love. Now, if in the case of an emergency, children need to help their parents, 1 Timothy 5 does teach that in the care for widows. An odious parent will ruin this whole plan. An odious parent will sour the children because you are overbearing and critical about little things in their lives that don't matter. Odious parents will sour suitors so that suitors will not be interested in your children because you are too overbearing and difficult to be around. Odious parents will hinder succession because the family will not be perpetuated from you. They'll want to start over. They'll want to say, I don't want to be like my parents. I'm going to have a different relationship than my parents. My parents didn't love each other very much. My parents did not, I don't even know how I got here. I think I'm here by in vitro fertilization. You know, I, didn't, I never saw anything from my parents. It's pitiful, home that I grew up in. They'll just build a wall up and say, I'm going to be different. I can read the word of God. I can read the Song of Solomon. I know that my parents weren't like that. So I'm telling you right now, parents, we are, we are being watched all the time. We better have a better example than that. If you try to hold on to your married children, you're going to lose them. God's word's plain about that. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. Not therefore shall a man take his father and his mother. Not therefore shall a man call his father and his mother. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. And he and his wife will be a new family unit. Give them their space. Especially from any parent that is overbearing and always wants to help. That is exactly what I'm talking about. Always wants to help. Well, I was just trying to help. I was just trying to help. That just grates on the nerves of a young man who's trying to establish his little kingdom. Don't do it. You're going to lose your family, I promise you. And here's the verse. He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. That is your future if you want to do that. Give them their space. Let them fall a few times. Let them get bruised. They'll come and ask for help. Give them some isolation. Let them go their own way. Ask Eric and Rachel. How many times we had them over or called them when they first got married? Because Eric thought I was going to be an overbearing father-in-law. Well, I taught him right quick. <laughs> you can ask him. I don't go chasing my children. You know, my wife doesn't go chasing my children. I'm, I'm trying to teach you something from Genesis 2:24 and from Proverbs 11:29. It's a new family unit. And if you trouble that new house that's just trying to get started, you are interfering in something that is none of your business. Listen, your idea, grandparents, I'm a grandparent. Your ideas on Christian liberty, that is what they eat, where and when they go to bed, are no better than the Hindu neighbor living next door. Absolutely no better than the Hindu neighbor. It doesn't matter. See, God didn't write it in the Bible, therefore it doesn't matter. Because whatever matters, he commanded And whatever he hates, he condemned. And that's where we limit our involvement. If they come and ask me what kind of a, I'll tell them. But I don't go tell them all the time. And you've got to make this choice. And if one of the two parents is overbearing, they have got to be held back or you will drive away your children by your excessive criticism and your involvement in things that are none of your business. And I'm talking to me. How my children run around in their apartments or their little houses or how they do things is none of my business until it violates the word of God. When I see a Buddha in their backyard, I'll be the first one through the front door. I won't ring the doorbell. But until they have a Buddha in their backyard, they can have their little kingdom. When I see something that is contrary to God's word, I'll get involved. And brethren, this is why I am preaching on this subject and let him that hath ears to hear hear because those of you who don't want to listen, you will lose your family, I promise, on the authority of God's word and human experience. May God, may God raise up women that are like Eunice and Lois, who would teach their Timothys the word of God in the Bible. May the Lord raise up Hannah's. Hannah, she wasn't obsessed with raising chi- her child. She wasn't obsessed with what he ate or who he played with or whether he climbed too high in trees. As soon as Samuel was five, she gave him to the Lord. Now, how's that for a mother? You want to talk about sending a child off to school or sending a child off to daycare? Hannah gave up her child altogether fully forever when he was five years old, at the oldest. But do you know what it said? Some of you women, I've written this verse too. Do you all know where I'm going? The last verse of 1 Samuel chapter 1, what does it tell us about Samuel when he was five years old? It says she dropped him off there with his little suitcase, and she went back home. And do you know what the last sentence of that chapter is? Mm -hmm. He worshiped the Lord there. Amen. Amen. Who cares if he ate hot dogs, three meals a day, seven days a week? You can live just as long on hot dogs. Do you know what? He worshiped the Lord there. That is a great woman that is a holy woman how in the world in five years she had taught him at her breast not the fuzzy warm feelings of mommy boy which are just fine for mommies to have those feelings but women i want to elevate you to a higher calling and that is she taught her boy to love the lord his god right and when she left him there at five he worshiped the lord if we're going to have godly families. There can be no backbiting about any of our children. You know, it's very easy for parents to have opinions on what each child is doing because we're much, much older. We see lots of things that each of our children are doing that we don't like. And when one child stops by, it'd be very easy for Sherry and me to unload on the rest of the children to that child, about the rest of the children to that child. And we cannot do that. Whether we do it or not, doesn't matter. What matters is what does the Bible say about all conversation like that? It says it's out of hell. The person that's doing it has a black heart. It pumps bile instead of blood. That is cruel wickedness. We support our children because the Bible says backbiting, whispering, tail falsely accusing, all those different sins the Bible lists, you know, what we would call gossip, or talking to one child about the other children are flat out sins in the Bible. They're sins and they come from a black heart because that is not building family unity. If you wanna build family unity, you'll always be asking do they love their siblings and what have they done recently for their siblings and encouraging them kindly toward that because that's what the Bible wants us to do. What are the results that we want out of this? Happy families that bring comfort and peace to all the parents in this church a multi-fold cord that is not quickly broken, that can withstand temptations and trials. And brethren, there could be a day we're racing toward it apparently where there could be severe persecution for believing the Bible. And we want, if you have three children, a three-fold cord that's not quickly broken, we want to build strong, tightly knit families that love one another and will help one another if we're ever tempted that sorely. We want a foundation for the house of God. Doesn't Psalm 144 tell us that that the young men will be like olive plants and the daughters, like plants growing up in their youth, and the daughters will be like polished cornerstones in a palace? That's what we want to build for the house of God and the future of it. We want godly children that will know how to leverage a godly marriage into more godly children because that's what the Lord's looking for, a godly seed. We want godly men who will walk in God's way and have all the blessings of Psalm 128 that we read last Sunday morning olive plants round about thy table. Thus shall the man be blessed who feareth the Lord. That's what we want to create. That's what we want. Godly families. We want a family tradition where this sermon is not just for you and for me, but this sermon is for our children who will perpetuate it to their children and to the generation to come that there will be godly families not settling for a nice guy for spouses, not settling for just helping them get a high school diploma or a college degree but helping them fear the Lord right. and love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, before whom I stand responsible for you, what will he find? I hope he will find godly families where husbands and wives are together and committed to a godly family, and there are downlines from this church and family trees that are to the praise Of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is my job, and I am trying to do it. I have taught, you have heard. Now it is your duty to do it, and it is my duty to do it with you. Everyone wants to be a manager, or so they say. Everyone wants to build a a downline. Well, here's an opportunity to build an empire. You and your wife can start an empire if you do it God's way with wisdom. Wise as serpents harmless as doves, even in the way we treat our children. May the Lord bless us to have a godly family perpetuating itself into future generations if Jesus Christ tarries. Lord, have mercy upon us for our past failures. Have mercy upon our present families and have mercy on our future efforts. May Jesus Christ be praised.